I'm just going to kind of explain why I do this again. Why do I do this? Why do I... I, I do this because uh, this program saved my life. This program has given me life and it gives me great purpose in my life today. You know, I've had a lot of experience sponsoring people in this program. I've sponsored hundreds of people and I've gotten a lot of data collected from sponsoring hundreds of people. My best friend who I do a lot of big book studies with, him and I do these studies together and he's also sponsored hundreds of people and we've combined a lot of our, our data together and, and we're both students of the big book and I, and I believe in this literature wholeheartedly. Um, I try to live by the literature as best as I can and I try to carry the message to other people still suffering. What I've noticed over the years of me sponsoring is I'm, I'm not getting a lot of newcomers anymore. And, you know, I believe there is a reason why. You know, it's because my message is pretty forceful and it doesn't beat around the bush. It cuts through the bullshit. And a lot of new people don't quite understand the disease. They don't understand their true predicament. And a lot of people that have been around a while struggling trying to get sober don't understand their true predicament don't really understand why why this god thing's so important um the chapter more about alcoholism really really defines why god is so important but as if you just read it you don't really see what i'm talking about but god is what keeps us sober he is what matches the insane thought to drink with the sane thought not to drink um if I'm working on a theoretical God, just a theory, I pray here and there, I think I'm all spiritual and shit, but why do I keep drinking? It's because we need a God working in our lives. It's a working faith and a higher power in our lives. You know, I can, I can have a mental defense against the first drink. And my, that mental defense might even last a year or two. But at a certain point, the alcoholic has no effect of mental defense. His defense must come from a higher power. And I see that all the time. It's not by mistake that about five of us out of a hundred that come here make it sober a year. And about two and a half out of, out of those five make it to five years. Like the amount of people making it in this program is very, very small. So I've taken it upon myself to really try to help get those numbers up, you know. Let's try to get people getting sober. But this isn't about getting sober. This is about a design for living. If you're a hopeless alcoholic like I am, you, don't, you can't just come here, think you can take what you can get, and then go and live a normal life. Because it doesn't fucking work. It doesn't work like that. Most of those people that come here and try to get what they think they need and then go and try to live normal and, and abandon this program, they get drunk again. They lose their wives, they lose their families, and they're miserable. But we do have a design for living here that really works. And no matter what life throws at you, this program and, and it directs you to God will, will get you through anything. It's gotten me through anything and it keeps getting me through anything. And the more that I do things like this and I'm being of service and that's what the book has taught me. I didn't come here fucking wanting to help anybody other than myself. I came here because I wanted to feel better. That was it. Now I come here because I, I want to help people. And it makes me feel good. Well, that's the, what the book tells me. My very life as an ex-problem drinker depends on my constant thought of others and how I may help meet their needs. The literature doesn't lie. You know, I'm doomed an alcoholic death or I pick up the spiritual tools laid at my feet. 
There's another guy died today that I heard. I'm not sure if he overdosed or relapsed or what happened, but another guy died a week and a half ago, another guy a month before that. Like, people die, man. And they're people just like you and me that don't think we're going to die. But people are dying. So I really, really focus on the design for living of this program. I really focus in on what it is, what does it mean to turn my will and my life over to God? What does it actually mean for me to let God run my life? That's what I'm focused on. And uh, the theory of the program is not what I'm focused on. I'm focused on the mechanics and I'm focused on tying all the shit in together. And it all commences to get put together in the step 10. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start back at a story and there's a solution and it's the Roland Hazard story. So I'm going to start in step one a little bit. And I'm going to go into step three a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit about four, a little bit about five, a little bit about six. And then I'm going to work our way through some chats and a little bits of readings into the step 10 process. And then I'll be just hammering the step 10 stuff. But I think if I kind of tie all the stuff in step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, before I go right into the, the 10, I think you'll get a good understanding of what the fuck we're doing around here, what we're talking about, okay? So I'm going to go to, there's a solution, and on page uh, 26, I'm going to start at the paragraph that says, a certain American businessman. So a certain American businessman had ability, good sense, high character. For years he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrist. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of celebrated physician, the psychiatrist Dr. Young. You know, the second most prolific psychiatrist at that time and probably the most prolific psychiatrist ever. They use all of this guy's teachings in all the universities around the world today. Who prescribed for him, though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. So the guy that we're talking about here, his name is Roland Hazard. Okay? His family had so much money, this guy was rich, but he couldn't stop drinking. Over and over, he went to these sanitariums, treatment centers, whatever you want to call them. This guy couldn't stop drinking, so his parents paid for him to go to Europe to see this, this Dr. Young guy. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed that he acquired such profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. This guy, you know, he thought he had it figured out. He, he connected all these dots with, with Dr. Young. And in a short time, he was drunk. And he, he's like, how the fuck did this happen? I can, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for him, his fault. He knew he was doomed. He knew that if he drank again, his life is pretty much over. And he's baffled. He's friggin' baffled. He doesn't have a clue what happened. So he returned to this doctor whom he had admired. And he asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain his self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems. Yeah, so most of us, we're really good and well-balanced and we have a lot of willpower in lots of areas of our life. Except this power that alcohol has over us. 
and that's the exact same as Roland Hazard. Why the Roland Hazard story is so important? Because it's the typical hopeless alcoholic drug addict. It's all of us. And this, this story is so important in the book. Yet he had no, con- no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? He's begging the doctor. This guy's desperate, man. He's like begging the doctor to tell him the truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to be place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was the great physician's opinion. It's not a very good diagnosis, eh? You're doomed. <laughs> doomed means certain to die, fail, or death. This guy's doomed. He's certain to die, he's going to fail, or he's going to die. Or, yeah. But this man still lives, and he's a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth. Other free men may go without disaster. Provided. Provided what? He remains willing. Notice that the word willing's always first, all over the fucking big book. It's not honesty first. It's always willing first. Because without willingness, honesty and open-mindedness don't mean shit. Willingness is the most important principle for this program, pretty much, period. Provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. And when you understand the literature like I've understood it, the word attitude in this big book means turning to God. The certain attitude means he turns to God. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of this conversation our friend had with this doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where the state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend has felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. What happened? Roland Hazard finally, at that moment, had deep level concession of step one. The doctor says, you're fucked, bud. You're hopeless. There's nothing. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. That is his deep concession of step one right there. And if the gates of hell have closed on you with a clang, and you really think you got step one, but you can't stay sober, welcome. Because you ain't fucking got step two. And then the working power of God in your life is the thing that keeps you sober. I see lots of people with step one in this program, but I see way more with not step two because they can't stay sober. Without step two, deep level concession as well, but you don't get it like you don't need it right when you do step two. But through the steps and through this, uh, this what I'm going to talk about tonight, You start bringing God into the deepest level concession of yourself. And that's what the steps actually do. If you're following them properly, not as a theory, as a direction. He said to the doctors, there's no exception. Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while. Alcoholics have had what we call vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements, rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. 
In fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangements within you. With many individuals, the methods which I have employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. That's us. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that after all, he was a good church member. Oh, I got God. I'm good. I got God. I've, I've been to Catholic school. I've, I've been to church. You know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm all this thing. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctor telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case it did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. You can believe in God all you want, but if you don't follow the program of action that takes you to God in this program, you're fucking good as drunk and high. And what I want to go back up here, go back up to the middle of the page, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have what we call vital spiritual experiences. That's what the big book is. It produces vital spiritual experiences. That is our currency in the programs that I'm in. But what, what does he say about it? They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitude which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men were suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. That is, the, that is what I'm talking about, that, that little piece right there. These, these ideas, emotions, and attitudes, these emotional displacements and rearrangements, these, this is how I've been running my life. And, and it's my behavior. It's how I react in any given situation. It's my fear. It's my resentments. It's my sex conduct. It's my insecurities of, of myself. And we talk about the, the desires in step four, in the 12 and 12. I have four natural desires. There's sex relation, emotional, material security, and companionship. These things drive me, dominate me, insist upon ruling my life, and they will often tyrannize me. These things, when used out of whack, are what we're talking about in this paragraph. These are the things that are my difficulties. These are my defects of character. I'm using them out of whack. Okay? So, Dr. Young is telling Mr. Hazard, you need to have this vital spiritual experience. And we need to take all of these things and we need to cast them aside. And we need to allow a whole new set of ideas and conceptions to dominate you. So I'm not going to flip there, but in the back of the book, well, let's just go there. Page 567. I'm only going to read a little bit of it. But so it's the spiritual experience. This is the vital spiritual experience. These things that is a phenomenon that save our lives. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book. Upon careful reading shows that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. This is a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. So these ideas, emotions and attitudes that have been driving my personality as an active acting alcoholic need to be cast aside and I need a whole new set of conceptions to begin to dominate me. I need a psychic change like the Dr. Silkworth talks about in the doctor's opinion. And if I don't get a psychic change, there is very little hope of my recovery. So this is a psychic change. And 
a little bit further down, uh, among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, tra such transformations, psychic changes, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety. That is what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. It is the educational variety. It's done through the steps. And it's really, really packed into steps 6 and 7 and 10. Because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often the friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration to his reaction in life. If you haven't gone through this profound alteration to your reaction in life and you're, you're still drinking and drugging and can't get off the shit, there's something missing. That such change could have hardly been brought about by himself alone. No, it can't. This is why we need God. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. So what that's telling me is that for a newcomer, they should be able to go through these steps in three or four months, it says right there. A few months, which is three. And get, this, get the substance removed from their lives. The steps don't need to take a year. The steps are to be done quickly, thoroughly, fearlessly. Like your life depends on it because it does. I go to meetings all the time and people say, you know what, just sit around. Just wait. Wait until you're ready. Don't wait until you're ready. Don't, don't sit around and wait to get well to do the steps. Why don't you do the steps and get well? Like there's so many bullshit misconceptions in this program that are just hurting people. It, I'm, I'm a big book thumper, so I'm going by the book. What did the book tell me? It said a few months. I'm a sponsor, sponsor 100 people. What happens? I take guys through the steps in a few months. That's not the end of it, though. This is a lifetime of growing. But, you know, you should, typically I'm going to say I take a guy through three to five months. That's how long it should take, thoroughly. So from here, from this Carl Jung reading on page 27, I want to go to... Uh, to uh, page 62, I think it is. So we're going to be in step three. Actually, let's go to page 60. I'll, I'll skip around here a little bit in, in step three. We're going to go to page 60 right after the A, Bs, and Cs. So, A, we are alcoholics and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. C, that God could and would if he were sought. Being convinced. Next line. Being convinced of what? And I want you to really highlight the word convinced. Because the word convinced is of utmost importance. The literature says it all. The word convinced means without a fucking doubt. I have to be convinced. Being convinced, we're at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to the care of God. What am I convinced of, though? i got to be convinced of A, B, and C. Okay, A is step one, that I'm an alcoholic and I cannot manage my own life. I better be utterly convinced. How do I get convinced? It's, it's not just I think so. It's I go through the pages pre, prior to this with a sponsor and I relate to the literature. 
And I stop and I read with my sponsor and I get myself fucking convinced that I am this hopeless alcoholic. And if I am this hopeless alcoholic, then I must accept the spiritual solution. And if I'm not the alcoholic as it deems in this book, then maybe I don't need AA. That is part of the problem with AA is there's a lot of non-alcoholics in the program. So it kind of makes it hard for some of the real alcoholics because the non-alcoholics don't have to do some of the stuff that the real alcoholic has to do. But here nor there, if you have a desire to not to drink, you're welcome. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. I better be convinced of that. Like utterly convinced. No woman's going to keep you sober. Okay, Your fucking family will not keep you sober. Your kids will not keep you sober. Your boss and your job won't keep you sober. And if you look at your track record, you're probably convinced. No human power. And that God could and would if he were sought. Was I absolutely convinced when I got to that point when I got here? I don't know if I was absolutely convinced, but I didn't have a choice. So I was, I was, I was convinced. So being convinced, we were at step three, which we decided to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. First requirement is that, any, that we be convinced that any life ran on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our intentions are right. It says motives, so I'm going to say intention. So I'm making a decision. What is a decision? A decision is only a thought. Without action, it's, it's just a thought. I can make a decision to get up and go grab that fucking water bottle across my kitchen. But until I get my ass up and go grab it, it's only a decision. And it's a decision with no action. But if I say I'm going to make a decision to go up and grab that water bottle, I'm going to be right back. And I go and I grab it and I come and sit down. You know I'm serious because I went and grabbed the fucking water bottle. So there's so much action in this program that a lot of people misinterpret or don't want to take or whatever and the action is what actually gets me to God there's a line in the chapter working with others others it says faith alone is insufficient to be vital to give me actual life it must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action that's what we're talking about self-sacrifice is really what we're talking about that is the the main thing I'm going to talk about tonight and the unselfish constructive action. Both of those things are so important to the attainment of true faith, the working faith of a God in my life. The one that's going to keep me sober, for one, but the one who's going to put me into the fourth dimension because I start turning everything over to this God. I'm just going to read a quick little thing out of step three in the 12 and 12. You don't need to flip there because I'm just going to keep moving quick. Like all remaining steps, step three calls for affirmative action. It is only by action that we can cut away the self-will, which has always blocked the entry of God. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to cut away the self-will that's blocked the entry to God. Because if I'm making a decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of God, i got to cut away the self-will that's blocking that. But I can't always see it. Okay? Or if you like a higher power, into our lives. Faith, to be sure, is necessary. But faith alone can avail nothing, it says. Just what I just said. Faith alone will avail nothing. 
We can have faith, yet keep God out of our lives. That's what a lot of people do. They, they say they have this God and they have this faith and all that stuff, but they're keeping God out of their lives. So they get drunk over and over and over, and then they die. Working faith in a higher power, not the idea, the theory of God. Therefore, our problem now becomes just how and by what specific means shall we be able to let him in? And then he ends up with a question mark. How? How do I do this? How do I let him in? How do I cut away self-will? Well, we're not going to answer it right here, but step three represents our first attempt to do this. This decision is just my first attempt to try to do this. So I'm making a decision. In fact, the whole effectiveness of the AA program will rest on how well and earnestly we have come to this decision to turn our will and our lives over. Basically, what it's saying is my whole life and the quality of my life will be dependent on how well and earnestly I turn my will and my life over to God. The whole AA program. Well, what's the AA program? Well, if the alcohol is but a substance, it's a symptom. And the book tells me this is a design for living, then I'm going with design for living. My whole design for living program will rest on how well and how earnestly I come to this decision. And if I focused on turning my life and my will over to the care of God, I tell you what, you ain't going to want to drink. If you're totally committed to turning your will and your life over to the care of God, and you can get your first set of steps out of your way and get rid of the substance and start turning over the rest of your life to God, it tells me in the book, that you won't want to drink. Bill W.'s story in We Agnostics. What is this but a miracle of healing? In fact, I'm just going to read that quickly just to hammer this point home. Very last page of the chapter We Agnostics. This is where Bill W. has his spiritual awakening, the vital spiritual experience. Most of us grow into it more slowly, like we read. But Bill W. had a profound spiritual experience. So Bill W. was able to turn his will and his life over really quickly in like a moment. He had like the burning bush spiritual experience. Most of us grow into this more slowly, right? But what I want to emphasize here is the after Bill W. has his spiritual awakening, which I'm going to read, the promises that come after that. So anyway... One night when he was confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering this answer, he felt as though he had lived in hell. Then like a thunderbolt, a great thought came and crowded out all else. Who are you to say there's no God? This man recounts, this is Bill W., tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by the conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with certainty and majesty of the great tide at flood. The barriers, the ideas, emotions, and attitudes that he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in constant companionship with his creator. And I want you to remember that line. Because this is going to be a step 10 line that I want to hammer home. He lived in constant companionship, conscious companionship with his creator. 
Thus our friend's cornerstone was fixed in place. Well, what's the cornerstone that's fixed in place? Earlier, yeah, a belief in God. Earlier in this chapter, it says the cornerstone of which a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. I need to build my foundation with God. My foundation's been built on self-will my whole life. Now it's time I I get rid of this self-will, these ideas, emotions, and attitudes, is what we're talking about. And I start living with God as my foundation. And from the foundation, everything comes from. Everything is built off the foundation of God. Thus our friend's cornerstone was fixed in place. Bill's foundation is set. No later vicissitude has shaken it. No later life's happenings has shaken it. No trials and tribulations in life shook Bill's faith in God. His alcoholic problem was taken away. Boom, there it is. He turned his will and his life over. His alcoholic problem was taken away. The drink was solved. That very night, years ago, it disappeared. Say it for a few brief moments of temptation. The thought of drink has never returned. And at such times a great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly he could not drink even if he would. So important. When you, when you turn your will and your life over and you surrender to God and you really work this shit and you want to give it to God, these are the promises. He couldn't drink even if he wanted to. It says right there. And these are the same promises we're going to read in step 10. Why? Because step 10 is actually turning my fucking will and my life over to care of God. Has nothing to do with fucking promptly admitting that I'm wrong. Like I hear in the meetings over and fucking over. That's why people fucking can't get this shit. Because we're giving them the wrong fucking message. So he couldn't drink even if he would. God has restored his sanity. Well, what does he really mean there? Me running my own life is fucking insane. God restores me to sanity where he runs my life. I'm utterly convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. I'm convinced, like it just we just read in that step three. I have to be convinced that my life run by me is not, not successful. And I'm convinced. And if I try to run my life, and even today, it's insanity. I hurt myself, I hurt others, and it's always a shit show, like Ganesh would say. So, God restores me to sanity. Not only from the substance, because he will enable me to match the insane thought to drink with the sane thought not to drink, and that's what step two means when you're talking about the substance, but designed for living is me running the show. No dice. God runs the show. And then it says, what is this but a miracle of healing? Well, what does that mean? It means that the more you turn your will and your life over to God, the more you heal your deep inner child, your subconscious, whatever it is. Why do we use these defects of character? Why do I use these ideas, emotions, and attitudes? Because I'm fractured. I'm a broken person. I have all these broken pieces. And, and I, need, I need to fill these broken spots with things from outside myself like other people's love, like other people's money, like, like I need things from you and from the world because I'm broken. 
And if I can be full and true with myself, then I don't need these things from outside of me. So what is this but a miracle of healing? Well, Bill turned his whole will and his life over. And when you, us on the screen, the more that we learn how to turn our will and our life over, the more we will heal. Guaranteed. That's my experience. And that's the experience of people I see that try to do this. Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. He humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew. Well, what does that line really mean? So anyone that's been here for the full study, you're under the impression like I am that step seven is the ultimate surrender to God in this program. It's the only step that ends with amen. And it says, I am now willing you should have all of me. And the rest of the prayer down to the end says, as I go from here to do your bidding. Bidding means you tell me what to do and I do it. I stamp it with amen. It's a deal, God. I now work for you fully, wholeheartedly. So what does that line mean? It means step seven. I humbly on my knees, holding nothing back, offer myself to my maker. Then I know I'm okay. And that is the essence of step three. So let's go back to that page 60, 62 or whatever it was there. Okay. So the first requirement, the first requirement is that I be convinced that any life run by me is not successful. On that basis, I am most always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are right. And I want you to remember that. Collision with something or somebody. In step 10, it talks about we have ceased fighting anyone or anything. That's, this is what it's talking about right here. Because I'm always in collision with something or somebody because I'm trying to fill something from you inside of me. And I, and I end up stepping on your toes. Flip to page uh, 62. Why, why do I step on your toes? Well, here's why. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear and self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. There it is. There's my ideas, emotions, and attitudes that have been the driving, guiding force of my life. It's this, it's the fear. It's the self-delusion that I've never been able to see the truth in. It's the self-seeking, trying to get things from you or from the world that I think I need. The self-pity. This is the self this is the most important part of this program is the self, understanding self. For if the alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through the work and self-sacrifice for others, he will not meet the certain trials and low spots in life ahead. Um, faith alone is insufficient to be vital. It must be accompanied by self-sacrifice. This is it, self Self-pity, self-delusion, self-centered fear, self-seeking, self-pity. These are the main ones, but there's more. I sacrifice the selfishness and I ask God for help. Because I, I can't even see some of this shit. But through the program, through inventories, through working with a sponsor, through doing my step 10 properly, this shit comes to light. And I get better and better at, at relinquishing this because this is my self-will. This is me turning my life over to God if I can identify this shit and bring God in. And try a whole new set of conceptions and ideas begin to dominate me. Meaning things I'll do differently. So. Um, 
we step on the toes of our fellows because I'm the actor in step three. I'm trying to arrange everything. And they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, we, but we invariably find that sometime in the past we have made decisions based on self, which has later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. Yeah, I start seeing that in my four and five. They arise out of ourselves. What I love about that line is they arise out of ourselves. Think about that. It's within me. It's deep within me and it rises out of me. And it's my brokenness that's deep within me, which is why I need to use these things, which is why I can't always see them because I'm driven powerfully, blindly, subtly. These things drive me, dominate me, insist upon ruling my life. And it's anything from sex relation, emotional security, um, material security, um, uh, companionship. So our troubles we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot. But what? Though he usually doesn't think so. Why? Because you can't see self from self. If you're not aware and following the dictates of step 10, you won't see it. Why? Because you're going to drive your life on intention. Everything's about intention in our lives. But in this program, fuck intention. Intention blinds you to the true motive of self-pity, self-delusion, self-seeking. I can have the best of intentions, but underneath the surface, my motives aren't in check. And once I get understanding the motives, which is self, then I'm on the right track. I see people running through the program long time, missing this part right here. They run it on intention, and they still think the world's fucking them. What they don't see is they fuck themselves because the problems are arising out of themselves and they're stepping on the toes of their fellows. But they can't see it. Why? Because they're blinded by intention. It's not intention. Most extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. And then I love this. Above everything, above everything, he must, we must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. Above everything, the book says, we must be rid of this selfishness because it is the root of the troubles or it kills us. And the alcoholics that die, that's what's killing them. God makes that possible. Boom, one period, four, or one sentence, four letters. God makes that possible, period. And so listen, there's going to be three of, three of these in this paragraph. Why? Because Bill wants to hammer it home. We can't be rid of these ideas, emotions, and attitudes that have been the guiding forces of our lives, or if you would prefer, defects of character, without his help. And there often seems no way entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Boom. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would like to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help, period. This is the how and the why of it. I'm going to go with the original manuscript off, off my head. Original manuscript is where we're at for me. This is the how and the why of it. First of all, quit playing God, fucking period. It does not work. That's what it says in the original manuscript. And that's what I wish it said in the big book. Quit playing God, it doesn't work, period. 
Next, we decided hereafter in this drama of life, because life is a big drama, it's just a big play. God was going to be the director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Get that simple relationship straight, period. Back to original manuscript. This, this shit here softens it too much for me. I, I have to get this relationship straight. God runs the show. I don't. Simple. Simple concept. Most good ideas are simple. And this is the concept. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch which we passed through to freedom. Yeah, this, this concept. And a concept is like a decision. It means nothing until there's action done. I need to take action on this actual relationship that God runs a show I don't. I actually work for God. God, what do you want me to do? Where can I do your bidding? Amen. Show me. That is the relationship. I work for God. That's it. Period. And if I can do this, this is the keystone. It fits at the top of the archway of this new and triumphant arch which I pass through to freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from bondage of self. Because it's my selfishness that causes me all the problems. Next page. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. Having a new employer being all powerful, um, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So God, if I take this position sincerely, that he runs the show and I work for him, he will take care of me as long as I stay close to him and perform his work well. Not on a theory. Not on a concept. In live action. And the program of action actually allows me to do that. And step 10 is the essence of what we're talking about. Step 10 is your step 40 or step 9 worked in, in a quick step 10 on the day-to-day fly. So I'm going to go down a bit and I'm going to read the step to repair. I'm going to dissect that a little bit and then we'll kind of get skipping along here. God, I offer myself to thee. So it's an offering to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. God, you build with me and do me with me as you will. You take me apart. You rip me apart. You take these ideas, these emotions and these attitudes that are deep inside me that are not serving me or you anymore and take them apart. So build with me and do with me as you will, God. Make me in the image and likeness of your, yourself. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Take away the root of my troubles. Relieve me of that so that I may better do thy will. It doesn't say so I can get happy. It says so that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties so that victory over them. Difficulties, what are difficulties? My difficulties are these ideas, emotions, and attitudes that have been the guiding forces of the life of me. And I'm going to call them from here on out by defects of character. These are my defects of character that are my difficulties. What do these difficulties, these defects cause me? They cause me fucking difficulties. Please relieve me of the difficulties so that victory over them may bear witness to those I will help with thy power, thy love, thy way of life. Victory over them means, what does victory mean? It means, well, it's insinuating there's a fight. Where is this fight that, that I can be victorious over the shit that causes my difficulties in life? 
the fight is, well, what's the principle behind step 10? Perseverance. What does perseverance mean? It means fight through. What is the essence of step 10 when you're brand new to this step or you're working on this personality change? It's step six. Step six. Any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without reservation has indeed come a long way spiritually. So, step six is worked in your step ten. But I'm focusing on step ten tonight. But I want you to understand the concept of six. Because six is where the this is what we're talking about in the 10. I, I'm, I'm really willing to watch out for my defects. What is step six? Step six is a willing asking God to remove my defects of character. Asking God to remove my, these difficulties that create my difficulties. And if I don't work on these defects of character, then I'm going to act in self again. And then if I keep acting in self, then I start going crazy again and I need to pick up a fucking drink. Because this is alcoholism before this is alcoholism. So understanding what we're doing here will quiet your mind as you run this, this step 10. And the step 10 essentially, I'll say it again, is step 3. I sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry out step 6 and 7. Actually, power to carry out step 10. 6 and 7 and 10. For anyone that's new or anyone that doesn't understand this program, if you don't have a full understanding on step 6, it's no wonder why you're drunk. And if you're in the program and you're struggling with emotional sobriety and you don't understand step six, there's, it's, there's a good reason for that. The understanding of step six and step seven are of prime importance for the step ten uh, to take real good effect. Because I'm not here just because I'm a, I'm a drunk. I'm here because I have these character flaws, serious character flaws that make a problem drinker of me in the first place. Flaws that, I, I have these character flaws. And these serious character flaws make a problem drinker of me in the first place. And if I don't deal with these flaws, I will retreat into alcoholism once again. And these character flaws are revealed where? These defects of character are revealed where? They're revealed in my step four. Because step three means fuck all until my step four is done. I don't know what it means to turn my will and my life over. I can tell you I know what it means because I'm, I'm a rationalizing alcoholic. I can tell you what anything means. But I really have no idea what it means. I don't even start seeing that until step four. In step four it says we search out the flaws in our makeup that have caused our failure. Oh, it's the flaws within my makeup. What does within my makeup mean? Well, think about they arise out of ourselves. It's in me. It's part of me. It's, it's within my makeup. So we think our problems arise out of ourselves. Yeah, these problems arise out of me. So I search out these flaws within my makeup that cause my failure. Then it says being convinced. This is in step four I'm talking about now. Being convinced that self 
has manifested itself in various ways is what had defeated us. Yeah, self has manifested itself in various ways. That's what defeats me, not the drink or the drug. Because the drink and the drug are my solution to what causes my failure. These defects of character. But now drugs and alcohol don't fucking do it anymore. They used to cap that shit off. But it doesn't anymore. That's why we're here. I'm a double-edged sword. I can't drink and I need to drink. That's why I need God. So as I start understanding that four, I start being able to see in that fourth column, being convinced that self manifests self in various ways what defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. Well, what are the common ones? Well, in the book it says resentments, fears, sex conduct. Okay, those are the common ones. What about the uncommon ones? There's a whole bunch of uncommon ones that you don't see because they're, they're below the surface. And they come out over staying sober. And they come out through work in a step 10. They come out through having a sponsor. And they come out through a willingness to change over time. And when I get to step 5, it says we ascertain in a rough way what the basic trouble is. So between 4 and 5, right in the big book, it says common ones. And I ascertain in a rough way what the basic trouble is. So I'm only ascertaining in a rough way what my fucking trouble is. Yeah. Yeah. There's way more to this than, than doing a quick four and five. But in the rooms, again, all we talk about is doing one, four, and five. In the, in the books, it says this is the beginning of a lifetime practice. I need to get sober through my first set of steps, and I need to stay sober by understanding like what I'm talking about tonight. And not just staying sober. I mean, like, fuck, let's launch. Let's get into the fourth dimension. Let's get God running our lives. And then those promises all through the book will really, really mean something. It won't be just some, some sales feature wording that it looks like to some of us. So, what do I want to do? I want to touch base on step six a little bit, I guess. I guess. So, just again, step six. Like This is, to me, the most important step tied with ten. But I'm a step six Nazi in AA. I go to meetings talking about step six because I think it's the most important step. What is step six actually doing? It's actually teaching me how to turn my will and my life over. It's actually making me willing to, to identify where my self-will wants to run the show. And it allows me to stop and bring God in and ask God for help. It's awareness of what God's will is and what my will is. But it's actually worked in the step 10. But just again, before I move on from this, any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without reservation has indeed come a long way spiritually. Turning over these defects without reservation, raising my eyes to perfection, takes me closer to God. Faith alone is insufficient, must be accompanied by self-sacrifice. This is the self-sacrifice step. This is where I identify self and I sacrifice it. There's a lot of pain involved in that step. But it doesn't matter. It's a great step. And, and if you want to do what's easy in your life, then make your life hard. Or you do what step six is and build through hardness and make your life easy. And I'll just finish with the end of step six. 
At the very least, we shall have to come to grips with some of our worst character defects and take action towards their removal as quickly as we can. The moment we say no, never, our minds close against the grace of God. Delay is dangerous and rebellion may be fatal. This is the exact point at which we abandon limited objectives and move towards God's objectives for us. So delay is dangerous. What is he saying? He's saying if I don't work on these serious character flaws, delay is dangerous. And rebellion, like outright, fuck you, I'm not working on these things, may be fatal. And the two biggest ones that I see that people won't work on or don't want to work on or it takes them forever is lust and anger. Lust and anger will kill you. But underneath the lust, it's not just lust. And underneath the anger, it's not just anger. The big book talks about, we ask our Heavenly Father to remove these things root and branch. Well, the root is easy, or the branches are easy to see. I act out in anger. That's a branch. It sticks me in the eye and fucking hurts me all the time. But where's the root? Well, the root of anger usually comes from frustration in emotional recovery due to my sex relations, emotional, material, or companionship. There's, there's frustrated desire there that produces anger. And same with, with lust. Lust is just a deficiency or an insecurity in sex relation, emotional, security, or companionship, which they talk about in the step four. And these are the, these are the subtler ones that I was talking about. You know, not the common ones that stick you in the eye. Let's look for the, the shallower ones that you can't see, the stuff that's powerfully, blindly, and subtly under the surface. And it's driving me. It's, it's, it's ruling my life. But I can't really see it. But in AA, you start to see this stuff. That's the stuff we're, we're after. And that stuff doesn't reveal itself your first time through this program. But a lot, too many people will get through their first set of steps and never see that stuff I'm talking about. And then they're drunk again. Why? Because they've never dealt with the stuff that actually drives them powerfully, blindly, and subtly. They've dumped a surface load of shit out on the step four and five, but never dug into the fucking meat and potatoes. And you can't dig into the meat and potatoes unless you stay sober. And you can't stay sober unless you understand why we need God and, and what we're doing here. So, so and then just quickly on step seven, you know, um, to me, step seven is surrender to God. I'm surrendered to God. And for anyone new, you're not going to surrender to God your first time through like I said, you got to stay in the program a while. you got to get sober. Eventually, step seven becomes the surrender step to God. Usually, people can't surrender on step seven their first time through, but I have seen it. But it's something that kind of grows over time. But if you don't stay sober long enough, none of this shit will make sense to you. But if you do stay sober long enough and you're listening and you're doing following the directions, probably everything I'm going to say tonight is going to make sense. And I know I'm talking about a lot of things, but over time, you'll go like, holy shit, this piece fits, this piece fits, this piece fits. Oh, I remember doing that big book study last year. Holy fuck, everything fit. Everything fit today or, you know, over time. So it's uh, perfect timing to take a quick break. 
and then we'll uh, get a little closer into the actual step 10 stuff. So let's take a five-minute break and 